CD2 There was a gurgle from the cradle. What name are you giving her? said Agnes. You'll have to wait, said Magrat. It made some sort of sense, Agnes admitted, as she followed Magrat and the maids into the hall. In Lankra you named children at midnight so that they started a day with a new name. She didn't know why it made sense. It just felt as though once someone had found that it worked. Lancrastians never threw anything away that worked. The trouble was they seldom changed anything that worked either. She'd heard that this was depressing King Verence, who was teaching himself kinging out of books. His plans for better irrigation and agriculture were warmly applauded by the people of Lancre, who then did nothing about them. Nor did they take any notice of his scheme for sanitation, i.e. that there should be some, since the Lancrastian idea of posh sanitation was a non-slippery path to the privy and a mail-order catalogue with really soft pages. They'd agreed to the idea of a royal society for the betterment of mankind, but since this largely consisted of as much time as Sean Og had to spare on Thursday afternoons, mankind was safe from too much betterment for a while. Although Sean had invented draft excluders for some of the windier parts of the castle, for which the king had awarded him a small medal. The people of Lancre wouldn't dream of living in anything other than a monarchy. They'd done so for thousands of years and knew that it worked. But they'd also found that it didn't do to pay too much attention to what the king wanted because there was bound to be another king along in forty years or so, and he'd be certain to want something different, and so they'd have gone to all that trouble for nothing. In the meantime, his job, as they saw it, was to mostly stay in the palace, practice the waving, have enough sense to face the right way on coins, and let them get on with the ploughing, sowing, growing and harvesting. It was, as they saw it, a social contract. They did what they always did, and he let them. But sometimes he kinged. In Lancre Castle, King Verence looked at himself in the mirror and sighed. Um, Mrs. Og, he said, adjusting his crown, I have, as you know, great respect for the witches of Lancre, but this is, uh, with respect, broadly a matter of general policy, which I respectfully submit, is a matter for the king. He adjusted the crown again, while Spriggins the butler brushed his robe. We, we must be tolerant, really, Mrs. Og. I haven't seen you in a state like this before. They go round setting fire to people, said Nanny, annoyed at all the respect. Uh, used to, I believe, said Verence. And it was witches they burned. Verence removed his crown and polished it with his sleeve in an infuriatingly reasonable manner. I've always understood they set fire to practically everybody, he said. But that was some time ago, wasn't it? Our Jason heard him preaching once down in Orhulan. "'And they say he was saying some very nasty things about witches,' said Nanny. "'Sadly, not everyone knows witches uh, like we do,' said Verence, "'with what Nanny in her overheated state thought was unnecessary diplomacy. "'And our Wayne said they tried to turn folk against other religions,' she went on. "'Since they opened up that mission of theirs, even the Oflarians have upped sticks and gone.' I mean, it's one thing saying you've got the best God, but saying it's the only real one is a bit of a cheek, in my opinion. I know where I can find at least two any day of the week, and they say everyone starts out bad and only gets good by believing in Om, which is frankly damn nonsense. I mean, look at your little girl. What's her name going to be now? Uh, everyone will know in twenty minutes, Nanny, said Verence smoothly. Ha! Nanny's tone made it clear that Radio Og disapproved of this news management. Well, look, 
The worst she could put her little hand up to her age is a few grubby nappies and keeping you awake at night. That's hardly sinful to my mind. But you never objected to the gloomy brethren, Nanny, or to the wanderers, and the uh, balancing monks came through here all the time. But none of them object to me, said Nanny. Verence turned. He was finding this disconcerting. He knew Nanny Og very well, but mainly as the person standing just behind Granny Weatherwax and smiling a lot. It was hard to deal with an angry Og. "'I really think you're taking this too much to heart, Mrs. Og,' he said. "'Granny Weatherwax won't like it,' Nanny played the trump card. To her horror, it didn't seem to have the desired effect. "'Granny Weatherwax isn't king, Mrs. Og,' said Verence. "'And the world is changing.' There is a new order. Once upon a time, trolls were monsters that ate people, but now, thanks to the endeavours of men and, of course, trolls, of goodwill and peaceful intent, we get along very well, and I hope we understand each other. This is no longer a time when little kingdoms need only worry about little concerns. We're part of a big world. We have to play that part. For example, what about the Muntab question? Nanny Og asked the Muntab question. "'Where the hell's Muntab?' she said. "'Several thousand miles away, Mrs. Og, but it has ambitions hubwards, and if there's war with Borogravia, we will certainly have to adopt a position.' "'This one several thousand miles away looks fine by me,' said Nanny, "'and I don't see—' "'I'm afraid you don't,' said Verence. "'Nor should you have to. "'But affairs in distant countries can suddenly end up uh, close to home.' If Clatch sneezes, Ankh Morpork catches a cold. We have to pay attention. Are we always to be part of the Ankh Morpork hegemony? Are we not in a unique position as we reach the uh, end of the century of the fruit bat? The country's widdishins of the ram tops are beginning to make themselves felt. The werewolf economies, as the patrician in Ankh Morpork calls them. New powers are emerging. Old countries are blinking in the sunlight of the dawning millennium, and, of course, we have to maintain friendships with all blocks, and so on. Despite a turbulent past, Omnia is a friendly country, or at least, he admitted, I'm sure they would be friendly if they knew about Lancre. Being unpleasant to the priests of its state religion will serve us no good purpose. I'm sure we will not regret it. Let's hope we won't, said Nanny. She gave Verence a withering look. And I remember you when you were just a man in a funny hat. Even this didn't work. Verence merely sighed again and turned towards the door. I still am, Nanny, he said. It's just that this one's a lot heavier. And now I must go. Otherwise we shall be keeping our guests waiting. Ah, Sean. Sean Og had appeared at the door. He saluted. How's the army coming along, Sean? I've nearly finished the knife, sir. It was obvious to King Verence that even if every adult were put under arms, the Kingdom of Lancre would still have a very small and insignificant army, and he'd therefore look for other ways to put it on the military map. Sean had come up with the idea of the Lancrastian Army Knife, containing a few essential tools and utensils for the soldier in the field, and research and development work had been going on for some months now. One reason for the slow progress was that the king himself was taking an active interest in the country's only defence project, and Sean was receiving little notes up to three times every day with further suggestions for improvement. Generally, they were on the lines of 
a device possibly quite small for finding things that are lost, or a curiously shaped hook-like thing of many uses. Sean diplomatically added some of them, but lost as many notes as he dared, lest he design the only pocket knife on wheels. Just got to do the nose hair tweezers and the folding saw, sir. But actually, I'm here as Herald at the moment, sir. Ah, it must be time. Yes, sir. A uh, shorter fanfare this time, Sean, I think, said the king. While I personally appreciate your skill, an occasion like this calls for something a little simpler than several bars of pink hedgehog rag. Yes, sir. Let us go, then. They went out into the main passage just as Magrat's group was passing, and the king took her hand. Nanny Og trailed after them. The king was right, in a way. She did feel unusual, ill-tempered and snappish, as if she'd put on a vest that was too tight. Well, Granny would be here soon enough, and she knew how to talk to kings. You needed a special technique for that, Nanny reasoned. For example, you couldn't say things like, Who died and made you king? Because they'd know. You and whose army was another difficult one, although in this case Verence's army consisted of Sean and a troll, and was unlikely to be a serious threat to Sean's own mother if he wanted to be allowed to eat his tea indoors. She pulled Agnes to one side as the procession reached the top of the big staircase, and Sean went on ahead. We'll get a good view from the minstrel gallery, she hissed, dragging Agnes into the King Oak structure just as the trumpet began the royal fanfare. That's my boy, she added proudly, when the final flourish caused a stir. Yes, not many royal fanfares end with shave and a haircut, no legs, said Agnes, the liate motif of the Guild of Barber Surgeons. Puts people at their ease, though, said Sean's loyal mum. Agnes looked down at the throng and caught sight of the priest again. He was moving through the press of guests. I found him, Nanny, she said. He didn't make it hard, I must say. He won't try anything in a crowd, will he? Which one is it? Agnes pointed. Nanny stared and then turned to her. Sometimes I think the weight of that damned crown is turning Verence's head, she said. I reckon he really doesn't know what he's letting into the kingdom. When Esme gets here, she's going to go through this priest like cabbage soup. By now, the guests had got themselves sorted out on either side of the red carpet that began at the bottom of the stairs. Agnes glanced up at the royal couple waiting awkwardly, just out of sight, for the appropriate moment to descend, and thought, Granny Weatherwax says you make your own right time. They're the royal family. All they need to do is walk down the stairs, and it'd be the right time. They're doing it wrong. Several of the Lancre guests were glancing at the big double doors, shut for this official ceremony. They'd be thrown open later for the more public and enjoyable part, but right now they looked like doors that would soon creak back and frame a figure against the firelight. She could see the image so clearly. The exercises Granny had reluctantly given her were working, Perdita thought. There was a hurried conversation among the royal party, and then Millie hurried back up the stairs and towards the witches. "'Mag, uh, the, the Queen says, is Granny Weatherwax coming or not?' she panted. "'Of course she is,' said Nanny. "'Only, well, the King's getting a bit upset. "'He said it did say RSVP on the invitation,' said Millie, "'trying not to meet Nanny eye to eye. "'Oh, witches never reserve ups,' said Nanny. "'They just come.' "'Millie put her hand in front of her mouth and gave a nervous little cough.' She glanced wretchedly towards Magrat, who was making frantic hand signals. Only, well, the Queen says we'd better not hold things up, so we're, would, would you be godmother, Mrs Ogg? 
The wrinkles doubled on Nanny's face as she smiled. "'Tell you what,' she said brightly, "'I'll come and sort of stand in until Granny gets here, shall I?' Once again, Granny Weatherwax paced up and down in the Spartan greyness of her kitchen. Occasionally, she'd glance at the floor. There was quite a gap under the door, and sometimes things could be blown anywhere. But she'd already searched a dozen times. She must have got the cleanest floor in the country by now. Anyway, it was too late. Even so, Überwald. On the rare maps of the Ramtops that existed, it was spelt Überwald. But Lankra people had never got the hang of accents, and certainly didn't agree with trying to balance two dots on another letter, where they'd only roll off and cause unnecessary punctuation. She strode up and down a few more times. "'I'll be blowed if I'll give him the satisfaction,' she muttered. She sat down in her rocking chair, stood up again so quickly that the chair almost fell over, and went back to the pacing. "'I mean, I've never been the kind of person to put myself forward,' she said to the air. "'I'm not the sort to go where I'm not welcome, I'm sure.' She went to make a cup of tea, fumbling with the kettle with shaking hands, and dropped the lid of her sugar bowl, breaking it. A light caught her eye. The half-moon was visible over the lawn. "'Anyway, it's not as if I've not got other things to do,' she said. "'Can't all be rushing off to parties the whole time. Wouldn't have gone anyway.' She found herself flouncing around the corners of the floor again, and thought, "'If I'd found it, the Watley boy would have knocked at an empty cottage.' I'd have gone and enjoyed myself, and John Ivy'd be sitting alone now. Drat! That was the worst part about being good. It caught you coming and going. She landed in the rocking chair again and pulled her shawl around her against the chill. She hadn't kept the fire in. She hadn't expected to be at home tonight. Shadows filled the corners of the room, but she couldn't be bothered to light the lamp. The candle would have to do. As she rocked, glaring at the wall, the shadows lengthened. Agnes followed Nanny down into the hall. She probably wasn't meant to, but very few people will argue with a hat of authority. Small countries were normal along this part of the Ramtops. Every glacial valley separated from its neighbours by a route that required a scramble or at worst a ladder more or less ruled itself. There seemed to Agnes to be any number of kings, even if some of them did their ruling in the evenings after they'd milked the cows. A lot of them were here because a free meal is not to be sneezed at. There were also some senior dwarfs from Copperhead, and standing well away from them, a group of trolls. They weren't carrying weapons, so Agnes assumed they were politicians. Trolls weren't strictly subjects of King Verence, but they were there to say, in official body language, that playing football with human heads was something no one did anymore. Much. Hardly at all, really. Not round here, certainly. There's practically a law against it. The witches were ushered into the area in front of the thrones, and then Millie scurried away. The Omnian priest nodded at them. "'Good, um, evening,' he said, and completely failed to set fire to anyone. He wasn't very old and had a rather ripe boil beside his nose. Inside Agnes Perdita made a face at him. Nanny Og grunted. Agnes risked a brief smile. The priest blew his nose noisily. "'You must be some of these, um, witches I've heard so much about,' he said. He had an amazing smile. It appeared on his face as if someone had operated a shutter. One moment it wasn't there, the next moment it was. And then it was gone. "'Uh, yes,' said Agnes. "'Ha!' said Nanny Og, who could haughtily turn her back on people while looking them in the eye. 
And I am... I am... Ah, said the priest. He stopped and pinched the bridge of his nose. Oh, I am sorry. The mountain air doesn't agree with me. I am the quite reverent Mightily Oats. You are, said Agnes. To her amazement, the man began to redden. The more she looked at him, the more she realised that he wasn't much older than she was. That is, mightily praiseworthy are ye who exalteth om oats, he said. It's much shorter in Omnian, of course. Have you by any chance heard the word of om? Which one? Fire, said Nanny Og. Ha! The nascent religious war was abruptly cut short by the first official royal fanfare to end with a few bars from the Hedgehog Cakewalk. The royal couple began to descend the stairs. "'And we'll have none of your heathen ways, thank you very much,' muttered Nanny Og behind the pastor. "'No slushing water or oil or sand around, or cutting any bits off. "'And if I hears a single word I understand, well, I'm standing behind you with a pointy stick.' Lanker people considered that anything religious that wasn't said in some ancient and incomprehensible speech probably wasn't the genuine article. From the other side, he heard, "'He's not some kind of horrible inquisitor, Nanny.' But my pointy stick's still a pointy stick, my girl. What's got into her? Agnes thought, watching the pastor's ears turn red. That's the way Granny would act. Perdita added, Perhaps she thinks she's got to carry on like that because the old bat's not here yet. Agnes was quite shocked at hearing herself think that. You do things our way here, all right, said Nanny. "'The, um, king did explain it all to me, um,' said the pastor. Uh, "'Do you have anything for a headache? I'm afraid I... "'You put the key in one hand and let her grip the crown with the other,' Nanny Og went on. "'Yes, um, he, he did explain... "'Then you tell her what her name is, and her mum's name and her dad's name, "'mumbling a bit over the latter if the mum ain't sure.' "'Nanny, this is royalty.' Ah. I could tell you stories, girl, and then see you give her to me, and I tell her too, and then I give her back, and you tell the people what her name is, and then you give her to me, and then I give her to her dad, and he takes her out through the doors and shows her to everyone. Everyone throws the rats in the air and shouts hurrah, and then it's all over by the drinks and horses, doovers, and finding your own hat. Start extemporising on the subject of sin, and it'll go hard with you. "'What is, um, your role, madam?' "'I'm the godmother.' Uh, "'Which, um, god?' "'The young man was trembling slightly. "'It's from old Lancre,' said Agnes hurriedly. "'It means something like, good mother, it's all right, "'as witches we believe in religious toleration.' "'That's right,' said Nanny Og, "'but only for the right religious, so you watch your step.' The royal parents had reached the thrones. Magrat took her seat, and to Agnes's amazement gave her a sly wink. Verence didn't wink. He stood there and coughed loudly. Uh, um. I've got a pastel somewhere, said Nanny, her hand reaching towards her knicker leg. Uh, um. Verence's eyes darted towards his throne. What had appeared to be a grey cushion rolled over, yawned, gave the king a brief glance, and started to wash itself. Oh, Grebo! said Nanny. I was wondering where you'd got to. Could you uh, please remove him, Mrs. Og? said the king. Agnes glanced at Magrat. The queen had half turned away with her elbow on the arm of the throne and her hand covering her mouth. Her shoulders were shaking. Nanny grabbed her cat off the throne. 
A cat can look at a king, she said. Not with that expression, I believe, said Varence. He waved graciously at the assembled company, just as the castle's clock began to strike midnight. Please uh, begin, Reverend. I, um, did have a small, suitable homily on the subject of, um, hope for the... The quite Reverend Oates began, but there was a grunt from Nanny, and he suddenly seemed to jerk forward slightly. He blinked once or twice, and his Adam's apple bobbed up and down. But, alas, I fear... "'We have no time,' he concluded quickly. "'Magrat leaned over and whispered something in her husband's ear. "'Agnes heard him say, "'Well, dear, I, I think we have to, whether she's here or not.' "'Sean scurried up, slightly out of breath, and his wig on sideways. "'He was carrying a cushion. "'On the faded velvet was the big iron key of the castle. "'Millie Chillum carefully handed the baby to the priest, who held it gingerly. "'It seemed to the royal couple that he suddenly started to speak very hesitantly.' Behind him, Nanny Oggs was an expression of extreme interest that was nevertheless made up of 100% artificial additives. They also had the impression that the poor man was suffering from frequent attacks of cramp. We are gathered here together in the sight of, um, of, uh, one another. Are you all right, Reverend? said the king, leaning forward. Never better, sir, um, I assure you said Oates miserably, and I therefore name thee, uh, <clears throat> that is, you. There was a deep, horrible pause. Glassy-faced, the priest handed the baby to Millie. Then he removed his hat, took a small scrap of paper from the lining, read it, moved his lips a few times as he said the words to himself, and then replaced the hat on his sweating forehead and took the baby again. I name you Esmeralda Margaret Note Spelling of... Lancre. The shocked silence was suddenly filled. Note spelling, said Magrat and Agnes together. Esmeralda, said Nanny. The baby opened her eyes and the doors swung back. Choices. It was always choices. There'd been that man down in Spackle, the one that had killed those little kids. The people had sent for her, and she'd looked at him and seen the guilt writhing in his head like a red worm, and then she'd taken them to his farm and showed them where to dig, and he'd thrown himself down and asked her for mercy, because he said he'd been drunk, and it had all been done in alcohol. Her words came back to her. She'd said in sobriety, end it in hemp, and they dragged him off and hanged him in a hempen rope, and she'd gone to watch because she owed him that much, and he'd cursed, which was unfair because hanging is a clean death, or at least cleaner than the one he'd have got if the villagers had dared defy her, and she'd seen the shadow of death come for him. And then behind death came the smaller, brighter figures, and then... In the darkness the rocking chair creaked as it thundered back and forth. The villagers had said justice had been done, and she'd lost patience and told them to go home, then, and to pray to whatever gods they believed in that it was never done to them. The smug mask of virtue triumphant could almost be as horrible as the face of wickedness revealed. She shuddered at the memory, almost as horrible, but not quite. The odd thing was, quite a lot of the villagers had turned up to his funeral, and there had been mutterings from one or two people on the lines of, yes, well, but overall he wasn't such a bad chap, and anyway, maybe she made him say it, and she'd got the dark looks. Supposing there was justice for all, after all. For every unheeded beggar, every harsh word, every neglected duty, every slight, every choice... Because that was the point, wasn't it? You had to choose. 
You might be right, you might be wrong, but you had to choose, knowing that the rightness or wrongness might never be clear, or even that you were deciding between two sorts of wrong, that there was no right anywhere. And always, always, you did it by yourself. You were the one there, on the edge, watching and listening. Never any tears, never any apology, never any regrets. You saved all that up in a way that could be used when needed. She never discussed this with Nanny Og or any of the other witches. That would be breaking the secret. Sometimes late at night, when the conversation tiptoed around to that area, Nanny might just drop in some line like, All scrivens went peacefully enough at the finish, and may or may not mean something by it. Nanny, as far as she could see, didn't agonise very much. To her, some things obviously had to be done, and that was that. Any of the thoughts that hung around, she kept locked up tight, even from herself. Granny envied her. Who'd come to her funeral when she died? They didn't ask her. Memories jostled. Other figures marched out into the shadows around the candlelight. She'd done things and been places, and found ways to turn anger outwards that had surprised even her. She'd faced down others far more powerful than she was, if only she'd allowed them to believe it. She'd given up so much, but she'd learnt a lot. It was a sign. She knew it had come sooner or later. They'd realised it, and now she was no more use. What had she ever earned? The reward for toil had been more toil. If you dug the best ditches, they gave you a bigger shovel. And you got those bare walls, this bare floor, this cold cottage. The darkness in the corners grew out into the room and began to tangle in her hair. They didn't ask her. She'd never, ever asked for anything in return. And the trouble with not asking for anything in return was that sometimes you didn't get it. She'd always tried to face towards the light. She'd always tried to face towards the light. But the harder you stared into the brightness, the harsher it burned into you, until at last the temptation picked you up and bid you turn around to see how long, rich, strong and dark, steaming away behind you, your shadow had become. Someone mentioned her name. There was a moment of light and noise and bewilderment, and then she awoke and looked at the darkness flowing in and saw things in black and white. So sorry. Delays on the road, you know how it is. The newcomers hurried in and joined the crowd, who paid little attention because they were watching the unplanned entertainment around the thrones. Note spelling? Definitely a bit tricky, said Nanny. Esmeralda, now that was a good one. Githa would have been good too, but Esmeralda, yes, you can't argue with it. But you know, kids, they'll all be calling her Spelly. If she's lucky, said Agnes gloomily. I didn't expect anyone to say it, Magrat hissed. I just wanted to make sure she didn't end up with Magrat. Mightily Oates was standing with his eyes cast upwards and his hands clasped together. Occasionally he made a whimpering sound. Uh, we, we can change it, can't we? said King Verence. Where's the royal historian? Sean coughed. It's not Wednesday evening and I'll have to go and fetch the proper hat, sire. Can we change it or not, man? Er, uh, it has been said, sire, at the official time. I think it's her name now, but I'll need to go and look it up. Everyone heard it, sire. No, you can't change it, said Nanny, who, as the royal historian's mum, took it as read that she knew more than the royal historian. Look at old Moo Cow Porchick over in Slice, for one. Er, uh, what happened to him, then? said the king sharply. 
His full name is James What-the-Hell's-That-Cow-Doing-In-Here-Poor-Chick, said Magrat. That was a very strange day, I do remember that, said Nanny. And if my mother had been sensible enough to tell Brother Perdori my name instead of coming over all bashful and writing it down, life would have been a whole lot different, said Magrat. She glanced nervously at Verence. Probably worse, of course. So I've got to take Esmeralda out to her people and tell them one of her middle names is Note Spelling, said Verence. Well, we did once have a king called My God He's Heavy the First, said Nanny, and the beer's been on for the last couple of hours, so basically you'll get a cheer whatever you say. Besides, thought Agnes, I know for a fact there's people out there called Syphilide Wilson and Yodel Lightly and Total Biscuit. This was because Lankra people had a fresh, if somewhat sideways, approach to names, generally just picking a sound they liked. Sometimes there was a logic to it, but only by accident. There'd be a chlamydia weaver toddling around today if her mother hadn't suddenly decided that Sally was easier to spell. Verence smiled. Oh, well, let me have her. <coughs> said Mightily Oates. And perhaps someone ought to give this man a drink. I'm so terribly, terribly sorry, whispered the priest as the king walked between the lines of guests. Been on the drink already, I expect, said Nanny. I never, ever touch alcohol, moaned the priest. He dabbed at his streaming eyes with a handkerchief. I knew there was something wrong with you as soon as I looked at you, said Nanny. Where's Esme, then? I don't know, Nanny, said Agnes. She'd know about this, you mark my words. This'll be a feather in her cap right enough, a princess named after her. She'll be crowing about it for months. I'm going to see what's going on. She stumped off. Agnes grabbed the priest's arm. Come along, you, she sighed. I really cannot, um, express how sorry I... It's a very strange evening all round. I've, 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 I've never, um, heard of the custom before. People put a lot of importance on words in these parts. I'm very much afraid the king will give a bad, um, report of me to Brother Melchio. Really? There are some people who could turn even the most amiable character into a bully, and the priest seemed to be one of them. There was something sort of damp about him, the kind of helpless hopelessness that made people angry rather than charitable, the total certainty that if the whole world was a party, he'd still find the kitchen. She seemed to be stuck with him. The VIPs were all crowded around the open doors where loud cheering indicated that the people of Lankra thought that note spelling was a nice name for a future queen. Perhaps you should just sit here and try to get a grip, she said. There's going to be dancing later on. Oh, I don't dance, said Mightily Oates. Dancing is a snare to entrap the weak-willed. Oh, well, I suppose there's the barbecue outside. Mightily Oates dabbed at his eyes again. Um, any fish? I doubt it. We only eat fish this month. Oh, but a deadpan voice didn't seem to work. He still wanted to talk to her because the prophet Brutha eschewed meat, um, when he was wandering in the desert, you see. Each mouthful forty times. Pardon? Sorry, I was just thinking of something else. Against her better judgment, Agnes let curiosity enter her life. What meat is there to eat in a desert? Um, none, I think. So he didn't exactly refuse to eat it, did he? 
Agnes scanned the gathering crowds, but no one seemed anxious to join in this little discussion. Um, you'd have to, um, ask Brother Melchio that. I'm so sorry, I, I think I have a migraine coming on. You don't believe anything you're saying, do you? Agnes thought. Nervousness and a sort of low-grade terror was radiating off him. Perdita added, What a damp little maggot! I've got to go and, uh, to go and, I've, I've got to go and help, said Agnes, backing away. He nodded. As she left, he blew his nose again, produced a small black book from a pocket, sighed, and hurriedly opened it at a bookmark. She picked up a tray to add some weight to the alibi, stepped towards the food table, turned to look back at the hunched figure as out of place as a lost sheep, and walked into someone as solid as a tree. "'Who is that strange person?' said a voice by her ear. Agnes heard Perdita curse her for jumping sideways, but she recovered and managed to smile awkwardly at the person who'd spoken. He was a young man, and it dawned on her a very attractive one. Attractive men were not in plentiful supply in Lancre, where licking your hand and smoothing your hair down before taking a girl out was considered swanky. "'He's got a ponytail,' squeaked Perdita. "'Now that is cool!' Agnes felt the blush start somewhere in the region of her knees and begin its inevitable acceleration upwards. "'Er, uh, sorry,' she said. "'You can practically smell him,' said the man." He inclined his head slightly towards the sad priest. Looks rather like a scruffy little crow, don't you think? Er, uh, yes, Agnes managed. The blush rounded the curve of her bosom, red-hot and rising. A ponytail on a man was unheard of in Lancre, and the cut of his clothes also suggested that he'd spent time somewhere where fashion changed more than once a lifetime. No one in Lancre had ever worn a waistcoat embroidered with peacocks. "'Say something to him!' Perdita screamed within. "'said Agnes. "'Behind her, Mightily Oates had got up "'and was inspecting the food suspiciously. "'I beg your pardon,' Agnes swallowed, "'partly because Perdita was trying to shake her by the throat. "'He does look as if he's about to flap away, doesn't he?' she said. "'Oh, please don't let me giggle!' The man snapped his fingers. A waiter hurrying past with a tray of drinks turned through ninety degrees. "'Can I get you a drink, Miss Nid?' "'Er, uh, white wine?' Agnes whispered. "'No, you don't want white wine. The red is much more... <laughs> colourful,' he said, taking a glass and handing it to her. "'What is our quarry doing now? Ah, applying himself to a biscuit with a very small amount of pâté on it, I see.' "'Ask him his name!' Perdita yelled. "'No, that had be forward of me,' Agnes thought. "'Perdita screamed. "'You were built forward, you stupid lump!' "'Please let me introduce myself. "'I'm Vlad,' he said kindly. "'Oh, now he's... "'Oh, yes, he's about to pounce on... "'Yes, a prawn volavant. "'Prawns up here, eh? "'King Verence has spared no expense, has he?' "'He had them brought up on ice all the way from Genua,' Agnes mumbled. They do very good seafood there, I believe. Never been, Agnes mumbled. Inside her head, Perdita lay down and cried. Maybe we could visit it one day, Agnes, said Vlad. The blush was at Agnes's neck. It's very hot in here, don't you think, said Vlad. It's the fire, said Agnes gratefully. It's over there, she added nodding to where quite a large amount of tree was burning in the hall's enormous fireplace and could only have been missed by a man with a bucket on his head. "'My sister and I have 
Vlad began. Excuse me, Miss Nit. What is it, Sean? Drop dead, Sean Og, said Perdita. Mum says you're to come at once, Miss. She's down in the yard. She says it's important. It always is, said Agnes. She gave Vlad a quick smile. Excuse me, I have to go and help an old lady. I'm sure we'll meet again, Agnes, said Vlad. Oh, uh, thank you. She hurried out and was halfway down the steps before she remembered she hadn't told him her name. Two steps further, she thought, well, he could have asked someone. Two steps after that, Perdita said, why would he ask anyone your name? Agnes cursed the fact that she had grown up with an invisible enemy. Come and look at this, hissed Nanny, grabbing her by the arm as she reached the courtyard. She was dragged out into the carriages parked near the stables. Nanny waved a finger to the door of the nearest one. See that, she said. It looks very impressive, said Agnes. See the crest? Looks like a couple of black and white birds. Magpies, aren't they? Yeah, but look at the writing, said Nanny Og, with that dark relish old ladies reserve for nastily portentous things. Carpe jugulum, read Agnes aloud. That's, well, carpe diem is seized the day. So this means... Go for the throat, said Nanny. You know what our king has done, so we can play our part in this new change in world order thing and get money for hedges because Clatch gets a nosebleed when Aunt Pork stubs its toe. He's gone and invited some bigwigs from Oberwald. That's what he's done. Oh, dearie, dearie me. Vampires and werewolves. Werewolves and vampires. We'll all be murdered in one another's beds. She walked up to the front of the coach and tapped on the wood near the driver, who was sitting hunched up in an enormous cloak. Where are you from, Igor? The shadowy figure turned. What makes you think my name is Igor? Lucky guess, said Nanny. You think everyone from Uberwald is called Igor, do you? I could have any one of a thousand different names, woman. Look, I'm Nanny Og, and this, excuse me, is Agnes Nitt. And you are? My name is, well, is Igor, as a matter of fact, said Igor. He raised a hasty finger. But it might not have been. It's a chilly night. Can we get you something? said Nanny cheerfully. Perhaps a towel, said Agnes. Nanny nudged her in the ribs to be silent. A glass of wine, perhaps, she said. I do not drink wine, said Igor haughtily. I've got some brandy, said Nanny, hitching up her skirt. Oh, right, I drink brandy like stink. Nicoleg Elastic twanged in the gloom. So, said Nanny, passing up the flask, what are you doing this far from home, Igor? Why's there a stupid troll down there on the bridge? said Igor, taking the flask in one large hand, which Agnes noticed was a mass of scars and stitches. Oh, that's Big Jim Beef. The king lets him live under there, provided a looks official when we've got company coming. Beef is an odd name for a troll. He likes the sound of it, said Nanny. It's like a man calling himself Rocky, I suppose. So I used to know an Igor from Uberwald, walked with a limp. One eye a bit higher than the other, had the same manner of her uh, speaking. Very good brain at juggling, too. That sounds like my uncle, Igor, said Igor. He worked for the mad doctor at Blinth. Ha! And he was a proper mad doctor, too. Not like the mad doctors you get these days. And the servants, 
even worth. No pride these days. He tapped the brandy flask for emphasis. When Uncle Igor was sent out for genius's brain, that's what you damn well got. There was none of this fumble-finger stuff and then pinching a brain out of the really insane jar and hoping no-one had noticed. They always do, anyway. Nanny took a step back. The only sensible way to hold a conversation with Igor was when you had an umbrella. I think I've heard of that chap, she said. Didn't he stitch folk together out of dead parts? No, really, said Agnes, shocked. How? That's right. Is there a problem? No, I call it prudent, said Nanny, taking her foot off Agnes's toe. My mum was a dab hand at sewing a new sheet from bits of old ones, and people's worth more than linen, so he's your master now, is he? No, my uncle Igor still works for him. Been struck by lightning three hundred times and still puts in a full night's work. Have a drop more of that brandy, it's very cold out here, said Nanny. So, <clears throat> Who is your master, Igor? Call them masters, said Igor with sudden venom and a light shower. Huh. Now the old count, he was a gentleman of the old school. He knew how it all works. Proper evening dress at all times. That's the rule. Evening dress, eh? said Nanny. Yes. This lot only wear it in the evening. Can you imagine that? The rest of the time he's all swanning around in fancy waistcoats and lacy skirts. Huh. Do you know what this lot have done? Do tell. They've oiled the hinges. Igor took a hefty pull of Nanny's special brandy. Some of those squeaks took bloody years to get right. But oh no, now it's Igor cleaned those spiders out of the dungeon and... Igor, order up some proper oil lamps. All these flickering torches are so fifteen minutes ago. So the place looks old. Being a vampire's about continuity, isn't it? You get lost in the mountains and see a burning light in some castle. You've got a right to expect proper squeaking doors and some old world courtesy, ain't you? Ah, right. And a bed in the room with a balcony outside, said Nanny. My point exactly. Proper billowing curtains, too. Damn right. Real guttering candles. I spend ages getting them properly dribbly. Not that anyone cares. You got to get the details right, I always say, said Nanny. Well, well, well. So, our king invited vampires, eh? There was a thump as Igor slumped backwards and a tinny sound as the flask landed on the cobbles. Nanny picked it up and secreted it about her person. Good Ed for his drink, she remarked. Not many people ever tasted Nanny Og's homemade brandy. It was technically impossible. Once it encountered the warmth of the human mouth, it immediately turned into fumes. You drank it via your sinuses. What are we going to do? said Agnes. Do? He invited them. They're guests. "'said Nanny. "'I bet if I asked him, Verence would tell me to mind me own business. "'Of course he wouldn't put it quite like that,' she added, "'since she knew the king had no suicidal tendencies. "'He'd probably use the word respect two or three times at least, "'but it'd mean the same thing in the end.' "'But vampires! What's Granny going to say?' "'Listen, my girl, they'll be gone tomorrow. "'Well, 
Today, really. We'll just keep an eye on them and wave them goodbye when they go. We don't even know what they look like. Nanny looked at the recumbent Igor. On reflection, maybe I should have asked him, she said. She brightened up. Still, there's one way to find them. That's something everyone knows about vampires. In fact, there are many things everyone knows about vampires, without really taking into account that perhaps the vampires know them by now, too. The castle hall was a din. There was a mob around the buffet table. Nanny and Agnes helped out. Canopy, anyone? said Nanny, shoving a tray towards a likely-looking group. I beg your pardon, said someone. Oh, canopies. He took a volivant and bit into it as he turned back to the group. So I said to his lordship, Whoa, what the hell is this? He turned to find himself under close scrutiny by the wrinkled old lady in a pointy hat. Sorry, she said. This, 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 this is just mashed garlic. Don't like garlic flavour, eh? said Nanny sternly. I love garlic, but it doesn't like me. This isn't just garlic-flavoured, woman, it's all garlic. Nanny peered at her tray with theatrical short-sightedness. No, there's some, uh, there's a bit of... You're right. Perhaps we overdid it in that. I'll just go and, uh, just get some... I'll, I'll just go. She collided with Agnes at the entrance to the kitchen. Two trays slid to the floor, spilling garlic volivants, garlic dip, garlic stuffed with garlic, and tiny cubes of garlic on a stick, stuck into a garlic. Either there's a lot of vampires in these parts who were doing something wrong, said Agnes flatly. I've always said you can't have too much garlic, said Nanny. Everyone else disagrees, Nanny. All right, then. What else? Ah, all vampires wear evening dress in the evenings, even this lot. Everyone here is wearing some kind of evening dress, Nanny, except us. Nanny Og looked down. This is the dress I always wear in the evening. Vampires aren't supposed to show up in a mirror, are they? said Agnes. Nanny snapped her fingers. Good thinking, she said. There's one in the lavvy. I'll kind of hover in there. Everyone's got to go sooner or later. But uh, what if a man comes in? Oh, I won't mind, said Nanny dismissively. I won't be embarrassed. I think there may be objections, said Agnes, trying to ignore the mental picture just conjured up. Nanny had a pleasant grin, but there had to be times when you didn't want it looking at you. We've got to do something. Supposing Granny were to turn up now, what would she think? said Nanny. We could just ask, said Agnes. What? Hands up all vampires? Ladies. They turned. The young man who had introduced himself as Vlad was approaching. Agnes began to blush. I think you were talking about vampires, he said, taking a garlic pasty from Agnes's tray and biting into it with every sign of enjoyment. Could I be of assistance? Nanny looked him up and down. Do you know much about them? she said. Well, I am one, he said. So I suppose the answer is yes. Charmed to meet you, Mrs. Ogg. He bowed and reached for her hand. Oh, no, you don't, said Nanny, snatching it away. I don't hold with bloodsuckers. I know, but I'm sure you shall in time. Would you like to come and meet my family? They can bugger off. What was the king thinking of? Nanny. What? You don't have to shout like that. It's not very polite. I don't think, uh, Vlad de Magpier, said Vlad, bowing, is going to bite my neck. "'shouted Nanny. "'Of course not,' 
said Vlad. "'We had some sort of bandit earlier. "'Mrs. Og is, I suspect, a meal to be savoured. "'Any more of these garlic things? "'They're rather piquant.' "'You what?' said Nanny. "'You just killed someone?' said Agnes. "'Of course. "'We are vampires.' said Vlad, or we prefer vampires with a Y. It's more modern. Now do come and meet my father. You actually killed someone, said Agnes. Right, that's it, snarled Nanny, marching away. I'm getting Sean, and he's going to come back with a big shot. Vlad coughed quietly. Nanny stopped. There are several other things people know about vampires, he said, and one is that they have considerable control over the minds of lesser creatures. So forget all about vampires, dear ladies. That is an order. And do come and meet my family. Agnes blinked. She was aware that there had been something. She could feel the tail of it slipping away between her fingers. Seems a nice young man said Nanny, in a mildly stunned voice. "'Ah, uh, he, er, uh, yes,' said Agnes. Something surfaced in her mind like a message in a bottle written indistinctly in some foreign language. She tried, but she couldn't read it. "'I wish Granny was here,' she said at last. "'She'd know what to do.' "'What about?' said Nanny. "'She ain't good at parties.' "'I feel a bit odd,' said Agnes. "'Ah, could be the drink,' said Nanny. "'I haven't had any.' "'No?' "'Well, there's the problem right there. Come on.' They hurried into the hall. Even though it was now well after midnight, the noise level was approaching the pain threshold. When the midnight hour lies on the glass like a big cocktail onion, there's always an extra edge to the laughter. Vlad gave them an encouraging wave and beckoned them over to a group around King Verence. "'Ah, oh, Agnes and Nanny,' said the king. "'Count, may I present—' "'Githa, Og, and Agnes Nit, I believe.' said the man the king had just been talking to. He bowed. For some reason, a tiny part of Agnes was expecting a sombre-looking man with an exciting widow's peak hairstyle and an opera cloak. She couldn't think why. This man looked like, well, like a gentleman of independent means and an inquiring mind. Perhaps the kind of man who goes for long walks in the morning and spends the afternoons improving his mind in his own private library or doing small, interesting experiments on parsnips and never, ever worrying about money. There was something glossy about him, and also a sort of urgent, hungry enthusiasm, the kind you get when someone has just read a really interesting book and is determined to tell someone all about it. "'Allow me to present the Countess Magpier,' he said. "'These are the witches I told you about, dear. I believe you've met my son, and this is my daughter, Lacrimosa.' Agnes met the gaze of a thin girl in a white dress, with very long black hair and far too much eye makeup. There is such a thing as hate at first sight. Uh, the Count was just telling me how he is planning to move into the castle and rule the country, said Verence, and I was saying I think we shall be honoured. Well done, said Nanny, but if you don't mind, I don't want to miss the weasel man. The trouble is that people always think of vampires in terms of their diet, said the Count, as Nanny hurried away. It's really rather insulting. You eat animal flesh and vegetables, but it hardly defines you, does it? Verence's face was contorted in a smile, but it looked glassy and unreal. But you do drink uh, uh, human blood, he said. Of course. And sometimes we kill people, although hardly at all these days. In any case, where exactly is the harm in that? Hmm? 
prey and hunter, hunter and prey. The sheep was designed as dinner for the wolf, the wolf as a means of preventing overgrazing by the sheep. If you examine your teeth, sire, you'll see that they are designed for a particular kind of diet, and indeed your whole body is constructed to take advantage of it. And so it is with us. I'm sure the nuts and cabbages do not blame you. Hunter and prey are all just part of the great mm, cycle of life. Fascinating, said Verence. Little beads of sweat were rolling down his face. Of course, in Uberwald, everyone understands this instinctively, said the Countess, but it is rather a backward place for the children. We are so looking forward to Lancre. Um, very glad to hear it, said Verence. And so kind of you to invite us, she went on. Otherwise we could not have come, <laughs> of course. Not exactly said the Count, beaming at his wife. But I have to admit that the prohibition against entering places uninvited has proved curiously durable. It must be something to do with the ancient territorial instincts. But, he added brightly, I have been working on an instructional technique which I'm sure will, within a few years... Oh, don't let's go through all that dull stuff again, said Lacrimosa. Yes... "'I suppose it can sound a little tedious,' said the Count, smiling benevolently at his daughter. "'Has anyone any more of that wonderful garlic dip?' The King still looked uneasy, Agnes noticed, which was odd, because the Count and his family seemed absolutely charming, and what they were saying made perfect sense. Everything was perfectly all right. "'Exactly,' said Vlad beside her. "'Do you dance, Miss Nitt?' On the other side of the hall, the Lancre Light Symphony Orchestra, conductor S. Og, was striking up and out at random. Er, uh, she stopped it turning into a giggle. Not really, not very well. Didn't you listen to what they were saying? They're vampires. Shut up, she said aloud. I beg your pardon, said Vlad, looking puzzled. And they're, well, they're not a very good orchestra. Didn't you pay any attention to what they were saying at all, you useless lump? They're a very bad orchestra, said Vlad. Well, the king only bought the instruments last month, and basically they're trying to learn together. Chop his head off, give him a garlic enema. Are you all right? You really know there are no vampires here, don't you? He's controlling you, Perdita screamed. They're affecting people. I'm a bit uh, faint from all the excitement. Agnes mumbled. I think uh, I'll go home. Some instinct at bone marrow level made her add, I'll ask Nanny to go with me. Vlad gave her an odd look, as if she wasn't reacting in quite the right way. Then he smiled. Agnes noticed that he had very white teeth. I don't think I've ever met anyone like you, Miss Nitt, he said. There's something so inner about you. That's me, that's me. He can't work me out. Now let's both get out of here, yelled Perdita. But we shall meet again. Agnes gave him a nod and staggered away, clutching at her head. It felt like a ball of cotton wool in which there was inexplicably a needle. She passed mightily Oates, who dropped his book on the floor and was sitting groaning with his head in his hands. He raised it to look at her. Uh, miss, have you... Anything that might help my head, he said. It, it, it really is mm, r rather painful. 
The Queen makes up some sort of headache pills out of willow bark, Agnes panted and hurried on. Nanny Og was standing morosely with a pint in her hand, a hitherto unheard of combination. The weasel juggler didn't turn up, she said. Well, I'm going to put out the hard word on him. He's had it in show business in these parts. Could you help me home, Nanny? So what if he got bitten on the essentials? That's all part of... Are you all right? I feel really awful, Nanny. Let's go, then. All the good beer's gone, and I'm not stopping anywhere if there's nothing to laugh at. The wind was whistling across the sky when they walked back to Agnes's cottage. In fact, there seemed more whistle than wind. The leafless trees creaked as they passed, the weak moonlight filling the eaves of the woods with dangerous shadows. Clouds were piling in, and there was more rain on the way. Agnes noticed Nanny pick up something as they left the town behind them. It was a stick. She'd never known a witch carry a stick at night before. Why have you got that, Nanny? What? Oh, dunno, really. It's a rattly old night, ain't it? But you're never frightened of anything in Lancre. Several things pushed through the bushes and clattered onto the road ahead. For a moment, Agnes thought they were horses, until the moonlight caught them. Then they were gone, into the shadows on the other side of the road. She heard galloping among the trees. Haven't seen any of those for a long time, said Nanny. I've never seen centaurs at all, except in pictures, said Agnes. Must have come down out of Uberwald, said Nanny. Nice to see them about again. Agnes hurriedly lit the candles when she got into the cottage and wished there were bolts on the door. Just sit down, said Nanny. I'll get a cup of water. I know my way round here. It's all right, I... Agnes's left arm twitched. To her horror, it swung at the elbow and waved its hand up and down in front of her face, as if guided by a mind of its own. Feeling a bit warm, are you? said Nanny. I'll get the water, panted Agnes. She rushed into the kitchen, gripping her left wrist with her right hand. It shook itself free, grabbed a knife from the draining board and stabbed it into the wall, dragging it so that it formed crude letters in the crumbling plaster. V-M-P-I-R. It dropped the knife, grabbed at the hair on the back of Agnes's head and thrust her face within inches of the letters. You all right in there? Nanny called from the next room. Uh, yes, but I think I'm trying to tell me something. A movement made her turn. A small blue man wearing a blue cap was staring at her from the shelves over the wash copper. He stuck out his tongue, made a very small, obscene gesture, and disappeared behind a bag of washing crystals. Nanny? Yes, love? Are there such things as blue mice? Not while you're sober, dear. I think uh, I'm owed a drink, then. Is there any brandy left? Nanny came in, uncorking the flask. I topped it up at the party. Of course, it's only shop-bought stuff. You couldn't... Agnes's left hand snatched it and poured it down her throat. Then she coughed so hard that some of it went up her nose. Hang on, hang on. It's not that weak, said Nanny. Agnes plonked the flask down on the kitchen table. Right, she said, and her voice sounded quite different to Nanny. My name is Perdita, and I'm taking over this body right now. Hodges Arg noticed the smell of burnt wood as he ambled back to the mews, but put it down to the bonfire in the courtyard. He'd left the party early. No one had wanted to talk about hawks. The smell was very strong when he looked in on the birds and saw the little flame in the middle of the floor. He stared at it for a second, then picked up a water bucket and threw it. 
The flame continued to flicker gently on a bare stone that was awash with water. Hodges Arg looked at the birds. They were watching it with interest. Normally they'd be frantic in the presence of fire. Hodges Arg was never one to panic. He watched it for a while, and then took a piece of wood and gently touched it to the flame. The fire leapt onto the wood and went on burning. The wood didn't even char. He found another twig and brushed it against the flame, which slid easily from one to the other. There was one flame. It was clear there wasn't going to be two. Half the bars in the window had been burned away, and there was some scorched wood at the end of the mews where the old nest boxes had been. Above it, a few stars shone through the rags of mist over a charred hole in the roof. Something had burned here, Hodges Arg saw. Fiercely by the look of it, but also in a curiously local way, as if all the heat had been somehow contained. He reached towards the flame dancing on the end of the stick. It was warm, but not as hot as it should be. Now it was on his finger. It tingled. As he waved it around, the head of every bird turned to watch it. By its light he poked around in the charred remains of the nest boxes. In the ashes were bits of broken eggshell. Hodges Arg picked them up and carried them into the crowded little room at the end of the mews which served as a workshop and bedroom. He balanced the flame on a saucer. In here, where it was quieter, he could hear it making a slight sizzling noise. In the dim glow, he looked along the one crowded bookshelf over his bed and pulled down a huge ragged volume on the cover of which someone had written centuries ago the word birds. The book was a huge ledger. The spine had been cut and widened inexpertly several times so that more pages could be pasted in. The falconers of Lancre knew a lot about birds. The kingdom was on a main migratory route between the hub and the rim. The hawks had brought down many strange species over the centuries, and the falconers had very painstakingly taken notes. The pages were thick with drawings and closely spaced writing. The entries copied and recopied and updated over the years. The occasional feather, carefully glued to a page, had added to the thickness of the thing. No one had ever bothered with an index, but some past falconer had considerately arranged many of the entries into alphabetical order. Hodges Arg glanced again at the flame burning steadily in its saucer, and then, handling the crackling pages with care, turned to F. After some browsing, he eventually found what he was looking for under P. Back in the mews, in the deepest shadow, something cowered. There were three shelves of books in Agnes's cottage, by which standards that was a giant library. Two very small blue figures lay on top of the books, watching the scene with interest. Nanny Og backed away, waving a poker. It's all right, said Agnes. It's me again, Agnes Knit. But she's here, but I'm sort of holding on, yes. It's all right, all right, just shut up. Look, it, look, it's my body. You're just a figment of my match. OK, OK, perhaps it's not quite so... Let me just talk... Oh, let me just talk to Nanny, will you? Which one are you now? said Nanny Og. I'm still Agnes, of course. She rolled her eyes up. All right, I'm Agnes, currently being advised by Perdita, who is also me, in a way. And I'm not too fat, thank you so very much. How many of you are there in there? said Nanny. What do you mean, room for ten? shouted Agnes. Shut up! Listen, Perdita says there were vampires at the party. The Magpier family, she says. She can't understand how we acted. They were putting a kind of fluence over everyone, including me, which is why she was able to break through. Yes, all right, I'm telling it. <sighs> Thank you. Why not her, then? 
said Nanny, because she's got a mind of her own. Nanny, can you remember anything they actually said? Now you come to mention it, no, but they seemed nice enough people. And you remember talking to Igor? Who's Igor? The tiny blue figures watched, fascinated, for the next half hour. Nanny sat back at the end of it and stared at the ceiling for a while. Why should we believe her? she said eventually. Because she's me. They do say that inside every fat girl is a thin girl and... Nanny began. Yes, said Agnes bitterly. I've heard it. Yes, she's the thin girl. I'm the lot of chocolate. Nanny leaned towards Agnes's ear and raised her voice. How are you getting on in there? Everything all right, is it? Treating you all right, is she? Ha, ha, Nanny, very funny. They were saying all this stuff about drinking blood and killing people and everyone was just nodding and saying, well, well, how very fascinating. Yes, and eating garlic? Yes, that can't be right, can it? I don't know, perhaps we used the wrong sort of garlic. Nanny rubbed her chin, torn between the vampire revelation and prurient curiosity about Perdita. So, how does Perdita work, then? she said. Agnes sighed. Look, you know the part of you that wants to do all the things you don't dare do, and thinks the thoughts you don't dare think? Nanny's face stayed blank. Agnes floundered. Like, maybe rip off all your clothes and run naked in the rain, she hazarded. Oh, yes, right, said Nanny. Well, I suppose Perdita is that part of me. Really? I've always been that part of me, said Nanny. The important thing is to remember where you left your clothes. Agnes remembered too late that Nanny Og was in many ways a very uncomplicated personality. Mind you, I think I know what you mean, Nanny went on in a more thoughtful voice. There's times when I've wanted to do things and, and stop myself. She shook her head. But vampires? Verence wouldn't be so stupid as to send an invitation to vampires, would he? She paused for thought. Yes, he would. Probably think of it as offering the end of friendship. She stood up. Right, they won't have left yet. Let's get straight to the jelly. You get extra garlic and a few steaks. I'll round up Sean and Jason and the lads. It won't work, Nanny. Perdita saw what they can do. The moment you get near them, you'll forget all about it. They do something to your mind, Nanny. Nanny hesitated. Can't say I know that much about vampires, she said. Perdita thinks they can tell what you're thinking too. Then this is Esme's type of stuff, said Nanny. Messing with the minds and so on. It's meat and drink to her. Nanny, they were talking about staying. We have to do something. Well, where is she? Nanny almost wailed. Esme ought to be sorting this out. Maybe they've got to her first. <gasps> you don't think so, do you? said Nanny, now looking quite panicky. I can't think about a vampire getting his teeth into Esme. Don't worry. Dog doesn't eat dog. It was Perdita who blurted it out, but it was Agnes who got the blow. It wasn't a ladylike slap of disapproval. Nanny Og had reared some strapping sons. The Og forearm was a power in its own right. When Agnes looked up from the hearthrug, Nanny was rubbing some life back into her hand. She gave Agnes a solemn look. We'll say no more about that, shall we? She commanded. I ain't generally given to physicality of that nature. 
but it saves a lot of arguing. Now, we're going back to the castle. We're going to sort this out right now. <laughs>